If you would, take a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. If you're using one of the Bibles that you might have picked up on your way in, it's page 914. Romans chapter 5, page 914. And in just a minute, I'm going to read through the passage. But when I do, you're going to see that the passage begins with the word, therefore. Which means that what we're about to look at today is tied to what we left off two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that because of Jesus' death on the cross, we have peace with God. Not just that he's no longer angry with us, not just that we're somehow he's neutral towards us, not just that we're no longer guilty, but that we are now righteous and that God is pleased with us and that we enjoy most favored child status with God. That what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross is he has placed us in good stead with God. It's on the basis of that teaching that Paul wants to make the point in the next section we're going to look at in Romans 5, and he's really trying to drive at two things. One we're going to look at this week, and the other we're going to look at next week. This week, he wants us to understand that because Jesus has done this on the cross, we can know that obedience overwhelms disobedience. Next week, we'll have a chance to look at how grace triumphs over sin. But this week, the power of obedience. We begin in Romans 5, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. Now stop there for a moment. In order for Paul to make the point which admittedly comes wrapped in some pretty complex teaching, in order for Paul to make the point that he wants to make, he's got to set up a comparison between Adam's disobedience and Jesus' obedience. Now, I've got some graphics here to try to help us walk through this because the comparison is complex and not immediately obvious which is why in verse 12, as Paul is setting up the comparison, he actually has to stop and take a break for a few verses to explain it. So verses 13 through 17 are him clarifying the comparison he's going to make between Adam's sin or disobedience and Jesus' righteousness or obedience in dying on the cross. Do you see at the end of verse 14? It says, 
as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. That's the idea that we're talking about is Paul wants to use Adam to help explain what Jesus, who is the one to come, accomplished for us on the cross. But in order to understand what Jesus accomplished for us, we have to first grasp what happened to us because of Adam. That's what verses 13 and 14 are doing. And I've got a graphic up here to try to help explain what Paul's saying. Essentially what he's saying is, all of us who are humans are descended from Adam. He is the first human. The easiest way to think about this is we are all part of Adam's family. We are his descendants. As a result, Adam's choice to disobey God when he ate the fruit that God forbid him to eat, Adam's choice affected us in two ways. One, it affected us apart from anything we're ever going to do. Second, it affected us through the choices that we make. So let's start first with how Adam's sin affects all humans regardless of our actions, apart from any actions we commit on our own. The Bible tells us in these verses that because of Adam's sin, death entered the world and came to all humanity. Now this morning we had a great example of a father, Pastor Choi, who has chosen obedience. But imagine a negative example. Imagine a husband and a father who chooses disobedience, chooses, for example, to leave his wife for another woman. The result of that sinful choice will bring death and difficulty on the wife and on the children, even though they didn't make the choice themselves. The father's action affects the wife and the children, and the divorce that he introduces because of his unfaithfulness brings death to the marriage and introduces death to the wife and the children, even though they didn't do anything wrong. In the same way, Adam's choice to sin brought death to all members of his family. Even, even though we didn't do what Adam did, that's what Paul is saying, even over those who did not sin by breaking a commandment, death still entered the world and came upon all human beings because all human beings are descended from Adam and all humans are affected by Adam's sin apart from what we do. So the first way that Adam's sin affects us is it affects us apart from any actions on our own. Death comes into the world. That's why every human dies. Even babies, sometimes. Even those who do not have the mental capacity to be able to choose sin throughout their life, they still experience death. It's not because of their sinful choices. It's because they are descendants. We're all descendants of Adam. 
And when Adam sinned, everyone who's a part of his family suffers the consequence apart from anything we've done. That's the first way that Adam's sin affects us. The second way that Adam's sin affects us is it affects us through the choices that we ourselves make. Again, back to our fictitious negative example of a husband who leaves his wife and children for another woman. Not only will that decision bring death into that family situation, it will also establish a pattern for the children and for the wife. It might tempt them to choose bitterness or anger. It might set an example for them of disobedience, where down the line they themselves will make their own choices to be unfaithful, perhaps in different ways. They themselves will make their own choices to engage in bitterness or anger. They don't have to, but do you see how the father's decision to sin introduces the pattern, introduces the difficulty, the temptation for the wife and the children to engage in their own sin? So it is with Adam. When Adam chose to sin, it introduced a pattern of disobedience into humanity. And we received from Adam a bent towards sin. It doesn't mean that we are automatically forced to sin. It just means we were born into a situation in which we have a natural propensity towards sin because the father of the human race introduced this pattern into the human race. That's why also in our passage it says, because all sinned, verse 12. Same thing that Romans 3.23 says. We've been affected by Adam's sin apart from what we've done, but we also have committed our own sins because we were given a pattern of sin so that all humans stand guilty before God because we have all disobeyed God. We've all given in to that natural propensity towards disobeying God. So Adam's sin affects us in two ways. One, apart from anything we've done, he introduced death to the human race. But also his disobedience influenced us negatively so that we were led to make our own sinful choices. And as a result of our own sinful choices, we experienced separation from God. Does that make sense? That's what we need to understand about Adam and his sin. Now the danger is, is Paul wants to make a connection between Adam's sin and Jesus' obedience, but he's worried that you and I might draw the wrong implications from this comparison. So in verses 15 to 17, he tells us what the wrong implica implications of this comparison are before he's going to get to the actual comparison. So verses 15 through 17, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, 
how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Again, really complex teaching, but let me simplify it for us. There are two wrong implications that you and I should not draw from this comparison between Adam and Jesus. The first wrong implication is we might be tempted to think because we're talking about Adam's sin that Jesus' death only addresses Adam's sin, just Adam's sin. Adam's one act of disobedience is being addressed by Jesus' one act of righteousness. That's the wrong implication. And in verses 15 to 17, Paul's saying, don't use the comparison that way. Second wrong implication, we might be tempted to think that because Adam's one sin brought death, Jesus' one act of obedience simply reverses death or undoes death. That's true, but there's more to it. There's more to it. So the other second wrong implication to draw from this comparison is that somehow Jesus' one act of righteousness is limited to undoing Adam's sin. All right? Those are the wrong implications. Paul's saying there's a relationship between Adam and Jesus, but don't draw those implications from it. All right? Does that make sense? What are the right implications to draw from the connection? That's verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So in the comparison between Adam and Jesus, the wrong implication that somehow Jesus' one act of obedience only addresses Adam's sin is made right when God tells us the right implication is that Jesus' death brings righteousness not just for Adam, but for many for all who are descendants of Adam who put their faith in Jesus. Even though Adam's one sin started the problem, Jesus' one act of obedience addresses far more sin than just Adam's. It covers all the sin of all the people in all of history and in all of creation who have accepted Jesus as their Lord. The act of obedience is so far greater than the act of disobedience that the act of obedience can cover far more 
than just Adam's disobedience alone. So the right implication to draw is that Jesus' act of obedience, his death on the cross, covers all sin, not just Adam's sin. The second right implication that we need to draw is that Jesus' one act of obedience doesn't just undo death, it actually brings life. Now to explain the difference between the two, let me show you another graphic uh, which I think helps show what I'm talking about. Okay, you gotta start with me sort of on the left-hand side of the graphic. And if you think of that line as sort of being neutral, that's where Adam was when he was created. This is where, if you want to think about it, this is where babies are when they're born. They've not done right or wrong. They've not had the opportunity to sin yet. Adam was created perfect without sin, but he was sort of in that spot right there. When he chose to sin and when we choose to sin, we sink down into the results of sin, which is separation from God. But here's the wrong implication, is that somehow Jesus' obedience just simply brings us back to neutral. That it somehow brings us back to where Adam was when he was created or where babies are when they're born. That's the wrong implication. The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus' act of obedience elevates us above where we were before. That's why we say it's not just that we're not guilty in Jesus, we're actually declared righteous in Jesus. It's not just that we're neutral with God, it's that God is pleased with us. It's not just that we're saved from hell, it's that we're given heaven. It's not just that we're allowed to continue on in this life, it's that we're given the spirit and a new life and the promise of eternity with God forever in heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. What Jesus has won for us is he's not simply brought us back to where we were before Adam started this whole thing. What Jesus has done for us is he has brought us beyond where Adam ever was. So the point of the comparison is that just as Adam's sin affected us, so Jesus' obedience affects us. You've heard what the wrong implications were. You've heard what the right implications are. Now let me give you what this truth means for us today. There are two applications from this truth. Just like Adam's sin and disobedience affected us apart from what we do and through what we do, So Jesus' one act of obedience and dying on the cross affects us apart from what we do and through what we do. Let's begin with how it affects us apart from what we do. This is talking about our salvation. Just like you and I didn't do anything to receive death 
from Adam. So you and I don't do anything to receive life from Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross, his obedience wins for us life and blessing apart from anything we've done, apart from any actions that we take. Just like we didn't have anything to do with Adam's sin and the death came on us, so you and I have had nothing to do with Jesus' act of obedience, but we still get the benefits of it. You say, well, there's got to be a catch. There is. The catch is this. You have to be a part of Jesus' family. That's how this works. You as a human were born into Adam's family, and so you automatically suffer the consequences of Adam's sin, death. When you and I choose by faith to join Jesus' family, we automatically receive the benefit of being a part of Jesus' family, which is life. That's why Jesus says, unless a person is born again. I mean, secular society has taught us, hasn't it, that our families of origin have a huge impact on who we are? that it has a huge impact genetically and socially, both nature and nurture, that in many ways we are who we are because of the families that we were born into. We inherited certain genetics and we observe certain patterns being lived out in front of us. Have you ever looked at your family of origin and thought, I wish that there wasn't all that hatred or bitterness or anger? I wish that there weren't examples of unfaithfulness. I wish I hadn't grown up in the midst of gossiping or jealousy or greed or materialism or whatever it may be. Have you ever seen the effects of your family of origin on yourself that the choices that you make are connected to the genetics you were given and to the example that you were given to see? Here's the good news of the gospel. God is offering you a new family of origin. That when you by faith say, I want to join Jesus' family, then what he did is results in your getting and receiving life. And all that's required of you is by faith to say, I'd like to be in that family. Every human being was born into Adam's family. Jesus says, you must be born again into my family, not by water, but by spirit, meaning by faith, meaning you don't have to go back into your mother's womb and be literally reborn again physically. You have to be reborn spiritually, which is you have to say, I want to be part of Jesus's family. And when you do, then Jesus's act of obedience now brings benefit to you apart from anything that you do. The second application of this truth is that Jesus' obedience brings life and that affects us through what we do. Just like Adam set a negative example for us, and passed on to us a nature that was predisposed towards sin, 
When we by faith accept Jesus, he gives us his spirit to create within us a new nature and sets for us a new example of what obedience can accomplish. And here's the point. He wants us to understand that obedience overwhelms disobedience. That Jesus' one act of obedience overwhelms Adam's one act of disobedience. Obedience is more powerful than disobedience. That's why if you've not yet accepted Jesus as your Savior, all of your disobedience can be counteracted by Jesus' one act of obedience. But it's also true that as a Christian, if you and I choose obedience, it will overwhelm and counteract and bless those around us far more than disobedience will. You heard the story of Pastor Choi and his willingness by faith to follow in obedience and move to the Netherlands. Listen to me. The teaching of Romans 5 is this. That act of obedience will set an example and a pattern for his wife and his children that will far exceed any negative example he could have set through disobedience. This is really, really great news. You see, one of the problems is, is you and I can find ourselves in a situation where people around us are being disobedient. Maybe you're in a marriage situation where your marriage partner is not a believer or your marriage partner is engaged in acts of disobedience. One of the fears is their disobedience will corrupt my children. I got some really great news for you from Romans 5. If you choose obedience, your obedience will overwhelm that person's disobedience. Obedience is more powerful than disobedience. You see, all God needs in whatever situation you're in is one person to be obedient. That's all he needs. Look at this. The sin in the entire universe, overwhelmed by the one act of obedience, by Jesus dying on the cross in your workplace, at your school, in your small group, in your neighborhood, in relationships, in this state, in this country, in this world. All God needs is one person who will do what God asked them to do. Listen, this is, I can't even, I'm having a hard time explaining what good news this is. Listen, maybe you were born into a generational sin of worrying. Maybe your mom was a worrier and your grandmother was a worrier and your great-grandmother was a worrier and that anxiety has been passed down from generation to generation. Do you understand what this is saying? God does not need an equal number of positive generations to overwhelm the negative generations. He just needs one person to stand up and obey. That's all he needs. And that obedience will overwhelm the disobedience. Doesn't matter how many generations of anxiety have been handed to you. If today you will do what God says, which he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. If you choose to obey, that obedience will overwhelm all the disobedience that came before. 
Isn't that great? Whatever sinful patterns you've inherited, whatever sinful choices you have made, if today you choose obedience. I love the story and I keep telling it over and over about the parable where Jesus says you got two boys. One says he's gonna go pick in the orchard and then doesn't. The other says he's not going to and then does. There's not a third choice of a boy who says he's gonna do it and then goes and does it. Only two choices. And the good news is the act of obedience overwhelms all disobedience. In the book of Ezekiel, God says, if those who have been unrighteous choose today to be righteous, I will forget all their unrighteousness and bless them as a result of their obedience. That's the heart of what Romans 5 is saying. The good news in this world is that obedience overwhelms disobedience. And if you're not yet a Christian... Please, please understand what this is saying. The natural tendency is to think, I've done all these things wrong. I'm going to have to start doing all these things right to counteract all those things I've done wrong. No, the truth of the matter is Jesus' one act of obedience is sufficient. And if you're a Christian, whatever situation you're in, if today today you do whatever God tells you if he tells you to keep your mouth shut and you keep your mouth shut if he tells you to speak and you speak if he tells you to be still and you're still if he tells you to move and you move whatever he tells if he tells you to move to the Netherlands and you move to the Netherlands whatever he tells you to do that obedience will bring blessing beyond anything you can imagine and there is no disobedience that will ever be able to stand up to it parents you worried about your kids going off into a secular world, I'll give you the very best thing that you can teach them. Do not let this book of the law depart from your lips, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. How can God make that command? How can he make that promise in the midst of a world that's constantly disobeying him? Because of this truth, obedience is stronger than disobedience. And if you teach your kids to obey, there is no situation they will ever find themselves in in which disobedience will win. Obedience overwhelms disobedience. It's a complex teaching, but the heart of it's very, very simple. When Jesus died on the cross, he established the truth for all of eternity. Obedience is stronger than disobedience. 